Hi, Internet. My name is John Makos. And this is Melissa Matos. Welcome to Unboxing Story, where we unpack fiction without the friction. There is a little bit of uh, cold. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep going back to ther- thermodynamics every time we, we do the intro. Um, it is cold today. <laughs> it is our first real wintry day. If you hear a little, like, like it, it sounds like waves crashing. <laughs> that isn't like an ASMR video that you forgot to click off of. It is our heater. a little heater our in, little our, in our room. Um, However, if you start hearing, you know, puff monster noises, feel free to check on us that we are still alive. <laughs> um, M- Melissa is getting over. A bit of a, uh, really nasty, what would, what would nasty you call cough. it? It was a nasty cough. <laughs> nasty boy. Um, but and, I can talk again. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, there's not much in the way of, um, winter you, today. Like, how, yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I don't I, know why though, because I'm hyped. I just had t- Turkish coffee and I am <laughs> wired. I think maybe there's just like, uh, there's just, what's in your brain is just the hamster wheel. And it's just going, <laughs> like mad. <laughs> um, Which will be good when I go to write for Neno today. But yes. Well, let's, let's, let's discuss that. So I I was worried for your sanity when <laughs> you were already do, doing rewrites on, on your secret ultra uh, like passion project thing. And then you were just like, and I'm also going to do that. So how is I'm not it? Also doing, I have let go of the secret passion project for now. Uh-huh. Uh, because I got to the beginning of Act Three and ground to a halt uh-huh. because I do not know how I wish to proceed. Okay. And said, well, whatever. So <laughs> I'm going to start my nano because I need to do something else uh-huh. for a bit. So you went to the rebound novel. Yes. So right. Persephone is my rebound. <laughs> there you go. That's terrible. <laughs> um, but I have questions to ask you about the press and project when we are finished with the podcast. Oh, okay. Because I, this is how I would like to know your this is opinions. how you create mystery in the audience. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, um, question. Uh, I'm um, I think about halfway through uh, Ted Decker's Girl Behind the Red Rope. Uh, I have only read one other Ted Decker book. It's uh, the book he did with Frank Bernie called The House, I believe. And um, uh, I know you guys had read that for one of his books. For uh, Did you read the whole series? For uh, No, I don't think we did the whole the series. Book club? Uh, and I don't think I actually read the book. I feel bad. Oh. I tried to and was not a fan. Oh, okay. Maybe? No, yeah. that's not true. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I just wasn't. You're allowed to not be a fan. I was not gripped by it very much. Okay, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because we have kind of talked about with thrillers. There's kind of like uh, some things that you're, um, it, you know, you glom onto, and some things that you're kind of like, you know, <laughs> nope. Um, and with this one, what's interesting is that I started to read it as a response to. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale, because it follows oh. a woman who is part of a, like, a doomsday cult, and, uh, but with, like, Christian trappings, right? And um, she and her brother are just starting to kind of transgress different things in the society. So he 
uh, the the prevailing, um, you know, you want to call it uh, delusion or or um, the prevailing cult center is around the idea that there are going to be these demon things called the Fury that um, are going to destroy all of humanity and leave the world for this, like, Christian society, this, like, small village thing. And uh, Rose is the uh, cult leader, and she uh, apparently, like, revealed this to everyone, and there's this angel named Silas who the main character, um, Grace, sees um, and, like, sees the demons and everything. So you're kind of wondering, is this, like, a mass delusion? Um, what direction are they going to go with it? And that was kind of interesting. And then it started to get a little bit wrong in the tooth. But then uh, throughout, you start seeing what her, her and her brother are starting to, um, like, uh, you appreciate somewhat of the nuance of how, like, they're starting to kind of parse, okay, this is actually what I believe versus what I'm being told. And it's not like overnight they're like rebels and they're, right. you know, breaking chains and everything. But um, uh, recently, you, so uh, um, Grace is seeing this uh, girl, Bobby, her, who appears to her and her alone. And she seems to like represent like wisdom. And then um, her brother sees Silas. And so at first I'm trying to think like, okay, so are they trying to do this weird thing where there's like a, um, you know, the fury represents like the male patriarchy. And so Silas is like, he's going to appear to the boy. And then all everything the girl does is, is hunky dory. But then uh, there was just a twist in the middle that was like, Oh, these are what these things are that are talking to them. So, uh, that's all I'll say about it. So keep it up in the air. And, um, you know, if your sounds interesting to you, uh, I, I certainly think that, uh, it's Ted Decker and his wife that wrote it together. And so it's interesting to see, oh, uh, that's cool. them kind of tackle this thing of sexual politics, but through the eyes of this cult, considering that they are believers, right. kind of what their opinion is of this to topic. Uh, so I would recommend you check it out today though um, wait, wait, oh quick. yes i forgot to mention i am reading something ah uh since i have just published a swords and sorcery story yeah um i decided to read what most people consider the origin of that genre uh-huh uh which is i forget the actual title of the compilation but there's mm -hmm. stories about fafford and the gray mouser i think you've ever heard of them um, but <laughs> she's seeing the dull lights in my eyes. <laughs> um, but Baffert is like a big barbarian type thing, uh -huh. very Viking barbarian like. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen the mouser yet because he's in a they're starting with one that's just the barbarian guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm assuming he's more of a roguish type small person that can sneak in and out of things. Okay, and they're kind of considered the original, you know. The original types of sword and sorcery stories. Oh, okay. Uh, I like the writing. It's fun. It's very, you know, that kind of could have a barbarian feeling oh, <laughs> sort right. of thing. Yeah. Um, I am not sure yet if I'm if I'm going to come down on the side of, oh my word, I forgot how sexist fantasy used to be. Uh huh. 
or not because I haven't. I don't. I need to see what the ending is. Hmm. But right now, it's not coming out looking terribly good. Uh-huh. Um, at first, I thought it was kind of interesting because he's in a culture where the it's not really a matriarchy necessarily, hmm. but the women are the ones that can do magic, hmm. and. Uh, they're all ticked at their husbands because there's this like traveling show that's there and their husbands are like going to watch that every night and not coming home. So they're all like mm. making it miserable for them. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on? <laughs> and they talk about it as though the wife or the mother of the man is what's in charge of the household. Mm. Um, but at the same time, the way Fafford treats people is a little weird. So I'm like, I don't know exactly mm. where this is going yet. So I got to see mm. what's happening. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so mm. it's been fun. Yeah, um, that actually reminds me. There was a video I'd like to recommend from a, a channel on YouTube called "Like Stories of Old," and it's about he basically just walked through all the adaptations of uh, Beowulf, but then kind of referenced a commentary that uh, Jared Tolkien did, and it was interesting, especially after our Inklings month, where uh, we read his. Uh, essay um, on fairy stories to see him uh, talk about the uh, deconstruction of Beowulf and people kind of reducing the story in all these different film adaptations that have been done um, and then kind of the the essayist in the, uh, the YouTube essayist um, like stories of old was kind of trying to explore, okay, are these films that adapted it actually getting at something, or are they doing, like, what Tolkien did and reducing it and criticizing the heck out of it and getting forgetting something that was essential about it? So, Because, like, Stories of Old as a YouTube channel, I've seen a couple of his videos, and it seems like he's very much into that essentialist kind of thing of, like, there are things in these mythic stories that are important um and so it's interesting to see him trying to make that relevant by talking about adaptations of right of uh i wonder know. if he does clash of the titans that would be interesting yeah i i I'd, I'd, I'd assume um that he has at least one thing on on greek and, and roman yeah, stuff. The stuff um it was funny though to hear one of the adaptations call that one of the um characters calls jesus the roman god <laughs> it's just like, well, that's kind of funny to yeah, hear. Because you know, I had just, I had just shown you that thing where it was walking through all the different Roman and, uh, and yeah, yeah, the, yeah. all the critics of how Christ. other people talked about it at the time. Yeah, and it's just like this. Yeah, so crazy. I didn't, but I didn't think about about like the what? northern some sorcerer. Yeah, you know, further north, that's all they know is that Rome had it, and Rome right. brought it up there, and you didn't have a choice because Rome right. was like, you're going to worship this guy. And you're thinking, right. oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, um oh also I wanted to mention mm-hmm. I have found my spirit animal. The uh there is a webcomic called Slacker Dragon uh-huh. and it is beautiful and anybody who likes fantasy and fantasy tropes should read this webcomic because it is brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's all I, 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 and I'll compliment on that a lot of these kind of newer comic strips, they they kind of um skimp on the cartoonist cartoonistry um <laughs> because like you know you have things like cyanide and happiness where they just do stick figures basically and um the daily 
what was the the oh the oatmeal oh yeah yeah um that just kind of have like uh more simplistic artwork but i like how like for for people that know of the godetama egg um oh, yeah, it's very kinda... much that kind of feeling yeah. of like you can feel the dragon's like slackerness through how he's drawn yeah. and then you were saying that there's this undead knight that each kind of keeps yeah. around it's just this and little skeleton of a guy he, yeah he's just laying there that just lays there and with talks this like to him. this like petrified face <laughs> and it's so funny it's great so um <clears throat> oh just oh, oh I, I was gonna read the title of my my article i i wrote an article called ode to dr sleep or how i learned to stop worrying and love the king um <laughs> because uh i was starting to think of um uh oh just sleep by 21 pilots mm -hmm. and i felt like that's that's a good way of talking about why i liked dr sleep because rather than think of the rational way of describing what i liked and disliked i thought of a poem <laughs> um so i was like well that's a good wow, compliment well, that's a good thing if it stirs you up to write poetry yeah so uh i think what we can do is we can go through our likes and dislikes and then get nerdy because that's what we are want to do. Yes. Um. So, uh. The the thing that I liked personally was that he, uh, Mike Flanagan, the director, wasn't doing a Shining Part Two, and that he felt slavish to you. We need to hit certain plot beats so that this mirrors the original. It felt more like how Tolkien has that like mirroring that's more tangential. Where like, oh, this love story looks a little bit like this love story, and like how it works in real life, you might be inspired by other love stories, but you're not you're not like a clone of this other character, you know, and you're gonna like, you know, anyway. Uh, it it feels like there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, is it, if you're doing a sequel, you feel, uh, you feel tied to certain things that you need to do. I, I need to have this character represent this character. Like I, I brought up Force Awakens, where you kind of need you need oh we need a Han Solo, right. we need a Yoda, um, and so like there's different characters that you feel like you need to just from whole cloth replace um so i felt like it, it that was one thing i liked about it a lot um how about you um i liked the depth of the lore that it went into mm. um i think stephen king one of the few things because i like i said hashtag i don't like horror at all <laughs> i don't tend to like his straight up horror things mm. Um, but I don't know if that's his fault because I haven't actually tried to read any of his books. Mm. I've just been going off of adaptations of his stuff. Mm. Um, so if the level of world building in his books is like the level of world building that was in this movie, I might read some of his books now because that was like some seriously in-depth mm. world building going on. Yeah. And it had history, it had weight to it. It, mm. was, it was interesting mm. and... And I really enjoyed that part. I thought that was pretty cool. I'd also say that um, he he seems to be a fan of kind of anti-mystery, is what I'm starting to <laughs> call it. Anti-mystery? Where it feels like there are certain thrillers where they're, they're, they introduce a mystery 
Uh, and when it gets to the point of this like dramatic reveal of what the answer is, it kind of lets me down. And I feel like there aren't many people like say, for example, Alfred Hitchcock in psycho. The first time you see that, you never forget learning what the, what the twist is. Yeah. yeah. What the twist is. Right. So I feel like there have been people that tried to mimic that, that kind of uh, falter a little bit. Um, but what I liked about this adaptation was you know right away who the bad guys are, yeah. but it tries to work at making what they do horrifying, right? And so it was um, – I'll, I'll get to kind of certain dislikes about the, the villains, but I felt like they didn't, they didn't push me so far as to – gross me out and yeah, make me feel I like did a good job I was I was disgusted and turned off by how they were like exploiting like the kids that were being harmed in the film and different things like that like I didn't get to the point where I was like you're trying to um, use the violence as a way to um, you know shock yeah and I think that was brilliant I don't know like I said again if it's the writing or the director necessarily Mm-hmm. But the way they did, because there is a very intense torture scene mm-hmm. in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Um, but instead of just showing you that and dragging it out like some horror movies would, mm-hmm. they show you instead, um, spoiler alerts if you haven't seen it yet, um, there's a character that can kind of enter someone's mind. Mm-hmm. So instead of watching the torture immediately, you're watching it, you're watching her experience it through the person's mind so you're not seeing the actual horror but you are still seeing the reaction so it is still terrifying because she's like freaking out Mm -hmm. but it's not the same level of watching the actual torture the whole time Mm -hmm. so i think that was a really brilliant way of showing you how horrifying this is without having to show it to you directly Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was pretty brilliant that Mm -hmm. scene anyway yeah um and and when the way you explain how they build up to it, it almost makes me feel like, well, this is like plotted like a Western. Because mm-hmm. in a Western, you know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What you're anticipating in a Western is the showdown. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to fight. Right. You know it's going to be a big deal. It's a good point, yeah. And you're waiting to see it happen. You're like mm-hmm. excited to see that part happen and to watch the good guy put the bad guy down. Right. And that's what you were building toward in this. Mm-hmm. You knew who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. Mm -hmm. You knew they were going to have a showdown. You even knew where it was going to be because of us knowing the prequel Mm -hmm. and the previews. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like, we know it's ending here, but how are they going to do it? Mm -hmm. And how's it going to look? And we want to watch the bad guys get put down. Right. right? Like that was, that was what you're anticipating. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was kind of fun, interesting that that was the way they built it up. I mean, I don't know if there's another term for that kind of a plot where it works in a Western, but it also works in Mm -hmm. other things. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah but yeah so i think what's what's um the the parts that kind of uh took me out of the movie were not necessarily the fault of the movie itself being poorly made they were more or less problems with how a, a sequel like this works and the choice to have certain things be uh, tributes to The Shining and me thinking, okay, is he, okay, he's playing with 
different visual cues from the original. And so those would kind of take me out of the movie because I was thinking, okay, does this, am I, am I looking for this to be as, um, something significant thing? Yeah. So one, one of the things that, that, uh, did it probably the most was Rose, the villain's name is Rose the hat. And so she has this hat. And at one point, um, Crow Daddy, who is her kind of, um, they're kind of co-leaders of this this doomsday cult um, of like zombie, we suck the life out of people things. Um, he at one point has a blue cap on. And so there was this weird thing where like, he's like giving this like soliloquy about there will be no justice and things like that. And the whole time I'm thinking they both look like hippies. So there was this weird thing of like, I don't understand whether you're making some kind of comment about the uh, baby boomer gener generation <laughs> and how like Rose the hat hat looks kind of like Stevie Nicks. And then his, he's like uh, this, you know, very native American actor. And there was also a native American in the shining, but then he's wearing what looks kind of like a blue Trump hat. And he's talking about how there's no hope. And he's like, screaming at this little girl until she cries. And so, like, there's this weird thing where, like, if you are going to do some kind of commentary, but then, like you said, you're simplifying the plot to this very basic, like, Western type thing. I think probably, like, my my kind of pet theories about those specific symbols aside, I think that there's one thing that was sticking in um, this other review is Craw, too, where there's a character that seems to be, like, gun-phobic, but then in the end, he's like shooting people. So there's this strange thing of like, this seems like a like a uh, political, politically driven metaphor. But then, or like some kind of statement. But then, you're it's so obscure because like, yeah, they don't really actually finish any of the. Yeah, so it's and it's so, not that it doesn't feel that deep. I think part of the issue, at least this is it for me, going into it, you know. Having been, in, I mean, how can you not watch the original Shining and not be stuck with those kinds of that kind that director? Like, mm. how Kubrick is just a mm. different kind Can't, of being, yeah, like he's just on his own level. Mm. And so, ha having that level of symbolism and deep meaning mm. that was applied to the plot in The Shining, mm. Like I said, again, whether that was from the writing or that was more Kubrick or whatever that was, mm. it was its own thing. Right. Going into this one, then expecting that kind of symbolism and that kind of deeper meaning, mm. I think made a lot of it feel hollow like that. Mm. Because you're looking for it. Like, there were several things that I wanted to see get tied up that didn't. Mm. So, like, the ghost that's in the guy's bedroom. Mm. You see it once, and that's it. Mm. Like you don't see him do anything about it. You don't see him get rid of it. Right. Like, and it's not like it was even a malicious ghost necessarily. It was just there. Right. You're like, okay, we get it. He sees ghosts. We knew that at the beginning. Why? Mm. What? What was that about? Uh -huh. The little tiny town. Uh huh. That was like set up, massive setup to be something. Uh huh. And they never do nothing with it. Uh huh. So that, like, I would say that that's is this just a visual cue. So we know we're in the town where this guy lives. Like, what is this here for? Uh, this right. needs to be a thing. Right. 
Um, that was probably, I, if, if I were to give my opinion, it would be cut out or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, if you're not going to say anything with it, why do something that weird mm -hmm. and not say anything about it? That's why I feel about the ghost. Why, why even put that in there right. and then not do anything with it? Mm -hmm. um, and then there was another one that felt like that mm -hmm. with, the, with the head of the AA meetings. Uh-huh. Like, he obviously was influential in the guy's life. They did that whole thing with the repeat of the doctor's office, mm -hmm. right? right? Making it look like the doctor's office from The Shining. Uh, but then that's it. They never use him again. Right. And I'm like, you left a lot of stuff hanging. <clears throat> mm -hmm. and, that, that and I think that that's the, the, the thing that I was thinking was that this isn't poorly made. This isn't really a bad adaptation no. as adaptations go. It's just go. you're expecting because of this other director and the style that that was. You're expecting certain things. Right. At least I was. Maybe not every not everybody going to a Stephen King movie is going to be expecting that. Because mm -hmm. like most people, if you're so the way I felt coming out of this is mm -hmm. if you go to this thing as a Kubrick fan, you're going to be very disappointed. Mm -hmm. But if you go to this as a Stephen King fan, you're probably going to love it. Because as far as Stephen King movies go, this was a really good adaptation, and yeah. I was freaked out, and I enjoyed mm -hmm. it, and it was pretty yeah. cool. So yeah, oh, yeah, I think after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those things that were going on in our heads as deep nerds about <laughs> um, Kubrick and uh, me being interested in like more of the philosophical things and uh, whatever else comes to our little adult brains. <laughs> we'll talk to you in a minute. All right. So one other beef that I want to pick before we nerd out about it, because like I said, it's not like we didn't enjoy it. We had mm -hmm. a fun time. Um, I don't think they made it clear enough why they couldn't defeat the villain on their own. Mm -hmm. Because they did a lot of work to set up how powerful the girl was. Yeah, I, I wanna I wanna give her and the fact a that shout out. yeah, she she did a great job. I liked the actress. I liked her character. Yeah, her character character's Abra. Her name is Kylie Curran. Yeah, and the guy that played I don't remember his name. Danny, the guy that played Danny was pretty good. Oh yeah, he won the great, yeah. great boy. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> awesome. Um, he was. Um, both are very strong. Both shine very strong. It's the mm -hmm. terminology in the movie, right? Right. Um, and are very powerful. And yes, like when they have the gang of them, the bad mm -hmm. guys, mm -hmm. I can understand them saying, "Okay, no, we need to trick them because we can't take on that big of a gang," which is true. I couldn't mm -hmm. I couldn't see them taking on like all seven of them or whatever. How many of them were? But once they get rid of the gang and it's just the woman, mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't see why the two of them couldn't have taken her down without what they did at the ending. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think they set up enough that that the girl was at her mercy because mm -hmm. the girl messed her up several times mm -hmm. during the movie right. and showed herself to be stronger. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so why are they worried about this chick? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. just go take her down. Huh. Anyway, that's just a little beef. Yeah, I think I, I, it, I bounced back and forth between between rational and spiritual arguments about it, because uh, what I kind of was thinking about during it was there's this, they're using that thing of like um, positive imagery, right? Uh -huh. But then it seems like King likes to play with this in this mysticism playground without necessarily committing to one spiritual worldview about right. what okay. is actually happening, right? So it was a weird thing because in the one sense he he could be completely using like um, kind of the Nietzschean castle of metaphors union. That's why I was saying when we left the theater like 
it seems like this very Jungian thing of like you have to know the shadow and in order to control right. it, that type of thing. Um, but uh, there is this interesting interplay between, uh, and sometimes it was like I said, uh, like happens with me with horror. There was this kind of like fetishization versus um, like the the um, disgust with it, right? Because in one sense, he is trying to say, you know, if you have struggle with alcohol, just saying don't drink anymore isn't going to cut it. But at the same time, you know, doing this weird thing where you're like putting a bottle of alcohol next to your table and then meditating about alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. If there's those types of new agey things that I think he's also trying to um have us question like if there's just one you know way that you can tackle this thing because he kind of has this more universal list thing of like having you know say for example using children to say that there's something about their essence right that makes them stronger than most adults right so that's a very kind they're of still pure you know yeah there's a very common mystical like conclusion that there is something about your innocence that you lose as you grow older. Right. But then like I that. thought, so like you said, contradictory information. So yes, the children were more pure. Mm -hmm. However, then they also said things like pain and fear purify you more. Mm -hmm. So the idea that Danny, because he had been through so much trauma, was stronger for it, mm -hmm. even as an adult, right. was interesting. So, like, yes, children have apparently this stronger sense and that a lot of adults dull it when they get older. Mm. But then at the same time saying, yes, but if you get traumatized as a child, mm. then that does something special to you. Mm. Right. I don't know. It's kind of a weird. Well, right. So that I think that that's what was um, both both to its strength and its weakness that, like, uh, in one sense, he was um, giving a lot of dignity to say, like, Danny's job as a, uh, you know, somebody who works at a hospice. And so there's these very touching scenes where right. he's sitting with an old person who's on death's door and watching their shine leave them. Um, but then, like you're saying, there's this interesting, like, cosmology around the power that trauma gives you. And it's, uh, it seems like a lot of, balls to keep in the air for one yeah, for person. Me, like it, it got a little um, <laughs> And so like you were saying like what it makes you want to do is read the book. Right. Because you want to see oh, over these several you know chapters how does he meet this out versus this adaptation of a film that what you said kind of reminds you of X-Men. Yeah. Because at this point we've seen so many superhero movies that having people do mental battles mm. isn't as mystical as it used to be. Mm. So like 20 years ago, maybe, if I had seen this as a movie, I'd have thought it was uh, a different sort of, like, it would have weirded me out more mm -hmm. to see people fighting mentally. But now, it's kind of a jaded thing. Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, this is also not, like, the fault of the writing or anything. Like, they did it really well. Mm -hmm. And and stuff. And especially, so, uh, leading into, uh, leading in on from the fact that Danny had a specific power because he was so traumatized, his mind was whacked out and so when when they did the whole like entering his mind mm -hmm. and that's why i was a little sad that the whole ending didn't happen in his head 
because I thought the point was going to be because he's been through this trauma, his mind is so messed up that even this crazy chick can't handle that. Mm -hmm. And so he was going to use, like you were saying, the whole using the shadow part of yourself, he mm -hmm. was going to use that mm -hmm. to fight them. I mean, not that I hated the ending. I thought it was a good ending as well, but that's not what I would have picked. Mm. Well, I think that it's one <laughs> thing about The Shining that I think is uh, to its credit that what's interesting is that they they Kubrick vacillates back and forth between the horrors of genocide are haunting this place, the horrors of alcoholism and this like kind of like gilded age thing are haunting this place because there's all these different ghost stories that have that are involved that in are, this place. That are, are piled onto this one location and it's what makes its evil so strong. Um, but then when you get this kid that's supposed to fight it, it seems like a, a losing argument because it's so much of this history that he can't deal with. But it's kind of both his you kind of see the balance between this personal struggle that he has and making it this universal thing that like this is a struggle that's been going on since the dawn of time type thing. Yeah. And he's Kubrick is such a skilled director at making the all of this seem real, even though it's a ghost story. You know, like it's not just making this seem like um, you know, we kind of tell these ghost stories to scare little kids and make them, you know, behave. It's making it seem like no, these things are essential to our being, uh, and um, it's something that, with Kubrick's things, you may your mileage may vary at which one of his movies speak to you about, you know, what your, you know, with whatever your personal belief system is. But it was an interesting thing to see um, how he adapted King's work, which I, I I've kind of come to think of him as being an anti-dogmist or something because Which one, or uh, uh, Stephen King. King because he doesn't seem to necessarily have one philosophy that he comes onto, but he's all about kind of experimenting with, okay, so there's, um, you know, it is the conglomeration of all these people's fears. And so it's a very kind of uh, Nietzsche's, Thing of like, um, you know, there's all these different interpretations of this one evil thing, and it kind of uh, solidifies in this Jungian nightmare thing, right? Um, and so, in but in some instances within that novel, the town is full of like a couple wise people that help the kids out. In other instances, it's full of like you know self righteous people who. Uh, you know, tear them down and make them, you know, even more miserable than when they started. So there's this kind of push and pull of like, there is some kind of deeper meaning and that, that this town has discovered, but it's like very scant and you have to look for it in order to find it type of thing. Um, that is one thing I think was a good through line for both movies and for a lot of King's things, I guess, because I, like I said, I haven't... <laughs> I haven't done a lot, but I do know that there are several involved children dealing mm. with crazy evil things. Uh -huh. um, the idea of evil being hungry mm. and wanting to take from you what is innocent and what is strong about you uh -huh. 
and kind of turn you into something that is afraid of them and just their prey. Mm. Um, and then having the children, especially in this movie, overcome that mm. and say, yeah, I know you're hungry, but I'm stronger than you are mm. and I'm not taking this from you. Mm. That I think was a good, like that was a good theme that they carried on very well through the whole movie. Mm. And and had a really good visual representation of it. Like mm. they didn't have to like say that to you mm. at any point. It was just, you saw it happen for mm. both of those characters that like the kids were like, nope, we're mm. done. Mm. <laughs> Not taking this anymore. Right. And I think, I think you can, the one way to tie those scenes together that I think maybe if you read the novel, the meaning might be more clear is that it's kind of tying death and sleep as this like death sleep is a metaphor for death or something but then it all it's also exploring your your subconscious and how to how to affect change in your life you have to go deeper than the surface kind of right. thing those types of uh, metaphors are being used and so he's using the fact that um say like people like uh snake snake bite let me see if I have her, her name here. Because all the different people are kind of these totemic um, beings. It's like and Snakebite Andy? Something Andy. Her name was Andy. Yeah, Snakebite Andy. The way that Rose the Hat seduces her is to say, like, you, you are going through this change and it it's terrifying you, but I'm going to promise you you know, you can be this age like forever. You don't have to oh, change. Oh, that's true. It was a very creepy kind of I can keep you a child. Right. And you don't have to worry about men coming on to you and all this other nonsense right. that she was upset about. Right. Yeah, that was a interesting. Mm. So so it's in, this interesting um, in thing of like there's things that if you're you're starting to, to understand that a change is happening rather than deal with it yourself you there's this kind of weird um like transgressive mother thing happening where she's you know diverting her responsibilities and becoming part of this sick family whereas on the other hand you have um abra coming specifically to the older generation and saying like help me <laughs> yeah help i don't know what's going on um and so it's kind of this, there's this dualism going on of like, it's not specifically the older generation that's going to fix all of your problems, uh, but there is something to glean from the older generation if you look hard enough yeah. type thing. Um, yeah, that is, a, and that, that I thought was really, I liked the relationship with Abra and Danny. Hmm. Uh, and, that, and they made it very realistic feeling. Yeah, good, yeah, because like the tiny town you were referring to, she just comes up to him in yeah. the middle of this thing, and the, like, his uh, boss is like, uh, <laughs> "I don't know what's going on." Um, but uh, there's, yeah, there's a really, and I, I think um, uh, Ky Kylie as an actress was able to um, show her naivety, but also this like excitement. Yeah. There's this like dual thing of she like, was a, she was "I'm terrified, but I know I can do this can do if this. somebody just helps me do yeah. it." Um, and so there is that. I like it when they let little girls be little girls mm. on camera. Yeah, I think like she felt like a for real kid. Right, because I think that the a precocious person might act 
less than their age in order to portray their age. <laughs> right. So I thought what, what was interesting was that it's it seemed like she was very earnest and being herself in portraying that character, and there wasn't any of this like the director making her like act, you know, kind of, um, you know, doing saying like little kitty things. Right. Um. It just seemed like I'm this kind of sporty girl who is very confident in herself and I'm at on the cusp of change, just like this other, you know, uh, Andy kind of is, but, um, I need someone to be a guide for me because I'm, I'm just running in, <laughs> you know, all these different directions. Um, and it kind of had that more like spirit guide type feeling. Um, and, uh, I think if there's anything. And I think else. all of them kind of tied into that. So also, I know there was a part where Rose the Hat was talking about how she was just like Abra at one point, and mm. no one was there for her. Mm. So it seems to be very much about the whole, you know, kids go through trauma, just mm. growing up is trauma, mm. you know, right. and if you're not there for them, like you need to be in a in a supporting kind of way, not just like no, you're gonna be this thing mm -hmm. or no I can help you get out of this thing right. neither of which is the way it needs to go but it's mm -hmm. like here look you gotta face this mm -hmm. I can't not let you face this mm -hmm. it's gonna happen but right. I'll be here for you right. kind of thing uh, is what is needed for you know the person who grows up a mess mm -hmm. yeah and, and they were I think apropos to show this as she's coming to Danny because she feels within her own household if I were to tell my parents what I'm struggling with, they would just think I'm crazy. Right. And so it carries on that Danny as an adult is seeking out these kind of um, more non-traditional families in order to find a place where he belongs. And he finds it in, in his job by like having these moments with the people that are dying. He finds it in AA by getting, you know, help for his... There with, you know, people that know what that understand what he's gone through. Right. But then similarly, um, uh, Abra is looking for that support and she goes to Danny, but he tries to encourage her to find that where she is. You know, find her... Right. Tell your parents. You know, so yeah. You have to tell your father. Right. Um, so yeah, all in all, I thought it was very good um, and that... Uh, I was I was joking that I was trying to come up with a um, comparison to Cats Don't Dance because that was the last Warner Brothers movie that we watched. Um, but I thought it was a good uh, horror movie that that wasn't like trying to pick at different trends. It wasn't like a uh, found footage movie. I was actually gonna or... was gonna compare it to uh, Split hmm. because the point in Split is also a young person dealing with trauma, right? Um, and the idea that the monster lets her go at the end because she has been through pain already. Mm. Like, the monster's job is to cause people pain and suffering who have never suffered. Because mm. he sees that as an injustice and that you're not a complete human being if you haven't mm. suffered. Right. And then he sees that she already has suffered right. quite a lot. And so he's like, oh, I don't need to do anything to you. You already know. Mm. Um, just kind of tying that into the whole... You still got, you know, you're going to suffer 
suffering can break you or I could be here to help you through it kind of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a, it was an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting exploration of like the balance between uh, like masochism and certainly in split, what they're trying to say is that he's like literally biting other people yeah. in order to like feed off of their pain and misery. But then there's this also a, uh, another thing of like, the main character learns to, to fight that by understanding that she has a, a power within her because she has suffered and that she there's things that she's learned because she's been through suffering that she can then use to free herself from that cycle. And then what she uses to do, what she uses that for, is have the courage to get out of her out of abusive, abusive relationship, relationship that she's in. Yeah. Um and rather than be a masochist and allow that to continue to harm her. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like Dr. Sleep was deep in a good way. It wasn't trying to uh, out Kubrick Kubrick. It wasn't no, trying to out Stephen King why Stephen would you King. Do that? <laughs> <laughs> it was very good at taking those elements and doing something both Different fun, fun and, it was and interesting. Scary in parts. It was exciting, and the acting was good. The special effects were amazing. Some of yeah. the scene in, scenes in there with the out-of-body experiences and whatnot were really good. Yeah, I thought the editing was seamless. I didn't notice anything that was that was messed up about that either. Um, so, yeah, if you want to um, tell us what you thought of Dr. Sleep, if you went to the fan event thing or uh, you just saw it in theaters, you can write to us at, at Unboxing Story on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And unboxing story podcast at gmail.com. Please write us. Our inbox is lonely. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also leave a message at our anchor page. Uh, we'd love to have you and your voice on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye.